Hello and welcome to the New Ears Podcast, an auditory exploration of the art of the album. I'm your host, Jonathan Humphrey. In this episode, we will be covering the album Sister Cities by the band The Wonder Years. It was released on April 6th, 2018, and it actually reached number one in the Billboard Independent Records chart. Many people consider this album a departure from the earlier pop-punk sounds of the band and is a more mature album. My guest today is Jacqueline Anderson, and we're going to jump right to that conversation. I'm here today with Jacqueline Anderson. Jacqueline, how are you doing? I'm doing great. So caffeinated. I'm ready to go. Excellent. Well, you know, you, you've heard this show before, like we do at the top, instead of uh, jumping right into the album, if you'd like to give the listeners a recommendation, a personal plug, a cause that interests you, whatever you want, this is your time. Oh, well, I mean, I know you plug it all the time, I'm sure at this point, but we've got Bite of Passage. Yes. <laughs> well, I'll, I have something to say about that, but why don't you tell the listeners who are just tuning in this time randomly about Bite of Passage. Well, Bite of Passage is our podcast where we're joined by two other people, two other folks from school, because that's how we all met, and we talk Twilight. <laughs> so we forced Twilight upon some newbies, and now we get to just talk through the whole series. Yeah, and a little bit of behind-the-curtains kind of inside baseball. As we are recording this conversation right now, we're also getting ready to record one of the last episodes of season one. By the time this episode that you're hearing now is released, we might already be done releasing season one. So if you haven't listened to Bite of Passage yet, you can probably binge a lot of it right now if you want to hear some funny, thoughtful insight about the book Twilight. I can't believe we're that far along. <laughs> it's a wild ride. It really has been. Is there any recommendation you'd like to make before we jump in? Totally something that I've been um, binging, so totally not related at all to this or anything, really, is uh, The Haunting of Hill House. And I just watched it and then watched it again completely through because I think it's like that good of storytelling. Uh, that's impressive. Often my biggest critique of horror is that the writing and the storytelling is not as good as the visual effects. Yeah, it's definitely something that is well told. And there's a lot of little things that you might not have noticed when you first started watching it. So when you rewatch it, you get to really see how much effort they put into telling the story. And the second season is different. It's kind of like American Horror Story where same actors, different story, you know? Mm -hmm. And that one's not pulling me as much. It's good. It's just that first one was so good that I can't really be topped. It's like how I feel about the show Heroes. First season, amazing. Fair. And then after that, what, what am I supposed to do? You set the bar way too high. Yeah, I mean, I hung around for heroes, but... I did too, <laughs> but, I, but I, know when, I know to admit when things aren't that great. Right. Well, before we get into talking about the album itself, I'm just going to go ahead and say right away, I have no personal history with this album. <laughs> this album was on assignment for me, but what, what's your personal history with this album? With this album or like this band as a whole? Either or, both. A little bit of both? Yeah. I love The Wonder Years. 
I got into them. I was not necessarily late getting into them, but I wasn't as early as some people. I got into them um, my senior year of high school. When I was on Tumblr, (laughs) there was this girl that I followed who reblogged photos of them live. And I was like, I need to listen to new music because I was starting to shift in my tastes at this point. And it's like, cool. Put I put it on a post-it, stuck it on the wall. And I was like, all right, I'm going to check out this band. And then I did. And this is when The Upsides was out. And I loved it. And Suburbia is great too. There's just like every album that they've put out is like a time capsule for different parts of my life. Like The Upsides is me finishing high school, starting college. And like I can listen to the songs on like especially those first two albums there's another one, but they don't like talking about it. (laughs) That's the one that like Mosher Size is on and that they've just like grown past that. So only talking about those two albums. I listen to them and I can like remember standing in the snow, going to my classes at community college, or I remember for The Greatest Generation, like when that album came out, I went to their, they did a 24 hour tour. So they did four shows in 24 hours, one in Philly, one in New York, Chicago, and then LA. I got there at like, the show was over by like noon, if not earlier. (laughs) They played through the album and it was amazing. I'd never done anything like that. It was strange to like walk out of a venue. It was daylight and then I had to go to work later on. (laughs) So that stunk. But I remember like listening to that full album and seeing them at Riot Fest and like reconnecting with my old best friend. We were singing, came out swinging together and like we hadn't seen each other in like a year. We hadn't talked but we still like shared a moment with this band and it was just amazing. And then No Closer to Heaven came out. I remember seeing them play a really small record store in Wicker Park, which is pretty cool. Cause at this point they were already headlining shows, big tours, you know, and they still did stuff like that. And then fast forward to uh, Sister Cities, the lead up to that album coming out. I don't know if you, not along, if you've heard any of this or seen it, if you looked into it all, They did a crazy release thing where they were posting stuff in different places. Uh, Chicago was one of them. And it was like, I forget what it was, but they were saying like, we've put uh, pins on a map and we're giving you the string. And there were posters all in different cities everywhere. And you could find it and see it. And then there was like this code that you put in to see the trailer for the album or teaser. And of course, someone in Chicago took it before uh, anyone else could really see it. So that was rude. But it was a cool thing that they did to make waves for this album, to get people excited. Yeah. I just think it's cool because it's usually not an interactive thing when an album comes out, especially now, like music and stuff. It's just, you don't need to wait in line for releases anymore. You don't need to wait, like go in person and buy physical tickets. And so to create a buzz where people like were going out and trying to find something tangible I don't know. It's interesting. I'm, I just want to say that what's really interesting about that to me is that it also ties in with part of the theme of the album. So it is a really clever way to promote the album. Exactly. <laughs> and then when the album came time for it to be released, they did two pop-up shops, one in Philly and one in Chicago. And it was again in Wicker Park. So on Milwaukee, kind of by uh, where Sugars is, which is the record store where I've seen them play before. I got in line <laughs> so stupid early <laughs> for this band, and it's not the first time, and it I'm sure it won't be the last if we can ever go to shows again. 
and they were selling like exclusive merch, coffee. They made jean jackets from like thrift store finds and they put sister cities on it, one of a kind stuff. And then they played a show in the basement and I got to see them in just a basement. They played through the whole album. So we all sat there, me and a bunch of my friends that are tied together because of this band, listened to it. And then they came out and played some songs. And that was just probably one of the coolest things. I've seen them 20 times in person, give or take. Uh, Most likely give. I think there's been a couple more. Two live streams. So 22 times I've watched them live across four states. And yeah, I just, I love this band a lot. Well, let's get, that's, uh, that's great. That's a nice personal history. Let's get into the album itself. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, we, we touched on it already by their promotions. And, you know, we obviously can have our own personal interpretations, but yeah. but the vocalist, and I'm assuming head songwriter in general, the main person of the band, Dan Campbell, yeah, whose apparently nickname is Soupy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what he himself said was that he said this is a record about distance or maybe how little the distance matters anymore. It's a record about how big we all thought it all was and how much closer to everyone we really are. I think that's a great description of this album and what a lot of it is about. Definitely. I've sent you photos of it. I have this big book that's full of photographs from their time touring and all different places across the world. There's like scans of like tickets, flights and stuff. (laughs) And there's poems and diary entries, paintings done by, I think they're done by the drummer, Mike. And then there's this one poem where it says like, I'm every... Oh, wait, it does say like that the distance is meaningless. It's not as important as I thought it was. So something to that effect. And that was really like hitting the nail on the head, you know, because it, the the record dances around that a lot, but it doesn't specifically say it. Right. So he, these lyrics are, I don't want to say the best <laughs> out of any album, but I think that they are the most that are like not just stating things you know not just like telling telling a story there's a lot more depth to this record the lyrics were edited by this poet Hanif Willis Abdurraqib I hope I'm saying his name right I've been following him for a while and then I saw like he would write articles and stuff about the Wonder Years I'm like oh that's cool and then he helped edit the lyrics so I think that really helped fine-tune them a bit that makes sense we'll talk about it throughout the songs but in no other way than just this i there was enough geographical references <laughs> that i felt like i was listening to an old mountain goats album and dan loves the mountain goats i wonder if that that played a part here i wouldn't be surprised so just to be brief about it dan also has this project called aaron west in the roaring 20s which was a contender to talk about <laughs> with you he plays the role of aaron west a man who's divorced, dad died, and it's this whole, it's its a, like a novel, you know, it's very story. And he's in character all the time. I've seen him perform as Aaron West, and he is Aaron West. <laughs> like it, He has stories, anecdotes to tell, and it's great. On one of those albums, he covers uh, Going to Georgia. Perfect. That's a beautiful one. So I've heard him perform that live several times. So definitely a big fan of them. Well, then that makes sense. How would you describe the genre of this album i know that this album is kind of different than a lot of their work or at least their earlier work but how would you genreify this i don't even know anymore i think calling it pop punk is rude (laughs) because it's not anymore they were 
definitely, especially with like the upsides and stuff, it was textbook pop punk, but they've grown up a lot and literally and through their music. So I don't know anymore. (laughs) I don't know what genres are. Fair enough. Allow me to take a crack at it. For sure. I've probably said this before at this point on this podcast, but to a certain extent, genre is a relative term anyways. It's just how one would best convey a style or something. So to me, I would say that this is melodic post-hardcore leaning heavily into third wave emo. Yeah, I could see that. I mean... Third wave emo for sure, just because, I mean, what isn't that (laughs) in this like realm of music? uh, That's like most of the bands that I listen to are emo in that, like whatever. But yeah, no, especially in this, this album, I feel like is more melodic, literally, like than the others. It has a lot of like softness to it that I wouldn't have expected before. Yeah. The first listen, I would say I wasn't as surprised by the softness Mm -hmm. but i do think in general and we'll get into it when we get to my standout tracks when i'm coming to to something like this i i want some rockers (laughs) (laughs) yeah so my standout tracks are pretty much immediately my standout tracks of this album and they remained that way if it wasn't for them i it might have been easier for me to see the elegance of the the slower softer so it'd be easier to miss it i mean but because yeah. of the way it's sandwiched with those songs i think it plays really well yeah there's definitely a a balance i noticed that more uh when i was listening to the record like the actual vinyl right uh taking my time with it and like listening to it a side b side and just how it's broken up that way well, that's great. We we don't always have that information on the show, but it's always nice to know where they end and begin aside. Yeah. So please point that out as we go along. Definitely. I have that in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I guess the other thing to, to say about this album is that it is definitely about things that are places are being connected in ways, distance is relative. But there's also a lot of personal loss on this album. Yeah, feels like it's been that way <laughs> a lot with this band. There's a lot of those feelings in uh, No Closer to Heaven, the last record, especially with the song Cigarettes and Saints, which is like the best. That song is like, I don't know, it's insane, it's intense, it's really long, and there's just the whole slow part. And that those feelings and themes kind of fall into this record a little bit. I don't know if it's talking about the same person. I, I assume that it is, or uh, some some parts of it. I'm sure that like a lot of the attributes can fall into to, like different people that have dealt with loss that they've lost in this band. They do. I know that Dan primarily writes the lyrics, but I'm I know that it's, it's not that like everything isn't his. You know, mm-hmm. like he writes poetry too. He, there's a book somewhere out there that has never been reprinted that I wish would be that has been selling online for an astronomical amount of money that I won't do. <laughs> but I've seen enough Q&As with this band. So like, you know how I said, I've seen them 20 times. You can probably add about five more times to that because I've seen like acoustic or uh, sound check sets for them and they always do Q&As and they talk about how like writing is so collaborative with them and how it's almost uh, painstaking and like 
like how long it takes them to make these albums because they're so collaborative with it. So that's a fun fact for you. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. And you said that the air, the, this album, the lyrics were edited. So that's definitely part of the collaborative process. Definitely. That, that I think really, really changed this album. I always think that their lyrics have been good and there's always been echoes of like literary stuff. Like Dan talks about often that if he weren't making music, he would have been like a teacher, most likely probably an English teacher from the way that the albums play out. Like uh, Suburbia has all these allusions to Ginsburg, like very much parodies a lot of Ginsburg's work, but there's always like hints of something bigger, but the way that the songs play out they're so like oh i'm at this place i'm at this diner i'm with these waitresses this is the date this is the people and everything and it feels so like it shouldn't connect with everyone but it's almost like model tellings in a way of all these different places and experiences that you can always kind of find a little bit of your own life in everything even if it sounds so personal with their life you can find a little bit of yourself there too before we move on to the track by tracks is there anything else you'd like to say about the album as a whole no we'll get there (laughs) i think we'll talk about everything okay great well we're gonna take a really quick break and then we'll be back to talk about the tracks We're about to go through the tracks of Sister Cities. As usual, we're start at the beginning. We're going to play a little bit of track one, Raining in Kyoto. So I'm just going to say right out front, it's probably obvious to people who have listened to this podcast, startings and endings are very important. This is a standout track for me. They started this album really strong. It's such a good starter. It really is. The way it just goes in immediately. It's so good. Yeah. And it's really nice before you read the lyrics and and read about what they mean. It's still very nice imagery. Yeah. Actually, there's a photo of Dan crying in what looks like Kyoto in the book. So that's probably literal, all this stuff. Well, and that's what's great about it is it is literal when you read it. Yeah, I think because like what we talked about, how this album is like about distance and about, it's not only about distance, it's about like connectedness. So I think that starting off with a track that like names another place, I think puts you into that mindset that like hey we're not just in philly anymore (laughs) right which a lot of their songs are like lost a lot of blood in california logan square basement show here and like mentioned chicago a couple times and then talks a lot about philly and like washington square park and then talks about europe and like the upsides but whatever you get me it's just like we're going further you know we're branching out it's like i don't know if i should talk about this but i'm going to talk about this (laughs) i love this song so much and I mentioned earlier that there was that pop-up shop 
for the Wonder Years. So that came to be, like, I think the only song that was released at that point was Sister Cities. And Pyramids of Salt may have been, but I don't think I listened to it yet. And I waited in line, stupid early. It was very cold. I think it was raining. (laughs) None of my friends were there yet. Just ridiculous waiting in line, right? Well, the main reason why I was waiting in line was because not only was this exclusive merch, get a ticket to see my favorite band play in a basement, is that they were doing tattoos and I wanted one. <laughs> the, the tattoo artist is from Philly. His, he's D-Mug. He's at Blood Moon uh, Tattoo Shop out there. And I have loved his work for years. He's tattooed people that like I follow on the internet. I've always loved his style. And when this album was coming out, one of the pre-order packages had a uh, flash sheet for this album, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was like an orange, Sister Cities, Little Hearts, flowers, all these different images. And one was a candle. And I loved the candle. And mind you, I hadn't heard any of the lyrics yet except for Sister Cities. So I didn't know any lyrical content. But the song Cigarettes and Saints on the last album talks about like lighting a candle in every cathedral across Europe. And I hope you're, I hope you know you're still my patron saint. And that always was like something that I held on to, you know, I loved that lyric. And I was like, well, if I get this candle tattooed on me, it could mean that, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily mean another track. Well, I do have a tattoo for that song and it's on my ankle. And if my dad listens to this, he's going to be pissed because he hates tattoos. And he was very mad when I got another tattoo. But after I listened to this song, I was so glad that I got it. This song means so much to me. And it's one of their, I don't want to say one of their best openings because I think it's up there. I think Came Out Swingin' and this are probably their best openers to an album. And there's just so much in it that reminds me of like losing my mom, losing my grandpa. And I just like hold all of that very close. And when I listen to these songs, like it feels good. You know, it's sad, but it feels like at home, like someone else gets what I was going through, you know? Yeah. Even just from a place of empathy, this is a very emotionally powerful song. Yeah. Maybe, would you like to tell the listeners what exactly it's about? Because it's very specific. It is so specific, which that's why, like I was mentioning before, it feels crazy to like relate to it. Yeah. Because these are very what he was going through. So... It talks about going to this place in in Kyoto and it's some sort of like shrine or religious area and not having any idea of what's going on (laughs) pretty much. But it's one of those things where like you can get dropped in a place and kind of put together the context clues of what's going on, even if you don't know what's going on. And so he's there and he sees this other person there and he like is losing his grandpa or has already lost him at this point. And he can't go home. From what I've read, just not to cut you off, but from what I had is he found out his grandfather was about to die as he was boarding the plane to Japan. Yeah. On a, on a tour for the band. Yeah, exactly. And to, to have to deal with leaving and not knowing what's going to happen, like, I can't, that's so hard. That's like when I left for Europe like years ago and was there for like two months. That was one of my biggest fears that something would happen and I wouldn't be able to be there. That's something that the Wonder Years has touched on more than once, like about leaving and what does that mean for me as like a person, like how you perceive me because I'm going away and what am I going to miss? But he finds like comfort 
in this place and kind of going through the motions and kind of figuring out how to grieve in his own way in this new place that he doesn't really feel like he belongs in. Like having a makeshift funeral is the line. I love that because I think that, and just so you know, I don't think if you're aware or know if you're aware, uh, Dan's atheist. So he does not, does not believe in God at all. That's something that he's talked about before uh, and touches on in a lot of songs. But for someone that doesn't believe in God, he talks about him a lot, <laughs> talks about religion a lot. And I, I relate to that a lot. Yeah, he's, he's probably someone who identifies as spiritual without being religious, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. And probably grew up in that sort of atmosphere, you know, like knows the motions of religion, even if you don't necessarily believe in them. But when he says that line, I've been so fucking afraid, and you can like kind of hear his voice crack a little bit. Oh, that gets me every time. Yeah, this song, it, it's really great. And I don't know exactly what to say about the music. It's, a, it's an upbeat rock song for sure. I mean, upbeat, yeah. not lyrically. <laughs> Fast pace. It's one of those things where I, I liked it enough that I, nothing was really standing out to me musically. Mm-hmm. But just a little structural thing that I noticed was I like that the chorus changes in this song. Yeah. I think that works really well to its advantage. And the other thing I wanted to point out is when I first listened to this album, I think I messaged you immediately saying his voice sounds kind of like Jay Robbins. Yes. And that come, that's an incredible compliment. If people don't know Jay Robbins, Burning Airlines and uh, Jawbox are both fantastic bans. But that comparison definitely is in the rest of this album at times Mm -hmm. but that's especially strong with this song and i think that's something that sets this album apart from other things that might be the same is i think the way that dan carries his emotion in his voice works a lot better than people who try to do similar things yeah i feel that and i feel like this album it happens a lot more i think because they're not kind of falling into that pop punk sound anymore Uh, i think his voice has kind of graduated a little bit that's fair well let's go ahead and play a little bit of pyramids of salt there's a bird inside your rib cage i keep trying to forget You want my first impression of this song? (laughs) Yeah. It made me think of the never ending story. (gasps) I'll take it. (laughs) Because he keeps saying the line about these hands. Yeah. And I just like, you see these (laughs) hands. (laughs) I was just, I was singing the song from that movie last night. This song, I was not a fan of it at first. I will say. So when I was at in that basement and they just played the whole album for us, from speakers you know not like them performing it i was like i don't know and then it grew on me it grew on me a lot well one thing i uh i wanted to say about this song specifically is throughout my notes for this album i have little notes that are like location blank is for different (laughs) songs just to like point on but another thing about this album is even if he's not necessarily talking about a location he uses imagery that like Obviously, Pyramids of Salt is not about Egypt, but just saying pyramids evokes Mm -hmm. a sense of distance and wonder to an extent. Yeah. 
I feel that. But otherwise, I mean, I could be wrong, but to me, this song is kind of about not being able to help someone that you wish you could help. I think so. And feeling like that's your fault. You know, like you're trying so hard to do something for someone else. And unlike the next song, where it feels like it's their fault a little bit. Right. feels like it's your fault. And I like that it's I and you in this song a lot. Like at the end, like, I loved you and I'm sorry and all that. I don't know. It just feels so personal. And it's, it allows you to kind of find yourself in it a little bit. Yeah. I think this, I, like you were saying, this wasn't one of my favorite songs on the album. I didn't have any like problem with it. But I wanted to highlight that the bridge of this song is a really strong part of this song. It is. I think that's where I get into the song, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's 100% fair. I will say, though, seeing it live, fantastic. Because now they they have really good lights when they tour. Right. <laughs> I think, you know, they've earned that in their career. And so the lights are always really good for this song. I could see that. I could understand that. Yeah. Did we miss something? It's just not, <laughs> it's not one of the ones that stands out to me. And I know that people would... Uh, Certain friends of mine would give me a hard time because this isn't one of my favorites. It's good, and I never skip it, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's just not, I think it's just not, it's not one of the ones I took notes for. <laughs> Fair enough. That doesn't mean that it's bad. I think that this album is such a set or like whole piece of something that it's, I never really pick it apart. I listen to it like as a whole a lot. So I don't think it's really weak or anything. It's just, doesn't grab me the same you know no i think that's a fair thing i think it has its place in the album i don't think it's a song i would put on a mix or anything yeah i feel that so let's move on and play a little bit of track three it must get lonely you gotta tell me you're not using it's probably because you are I saw you there just to block off the sea Oh, on an empty street Where the others have been torn down And you're the last one standing It must get long So I hope I'm not stepping on any toes here But this is probably the most boring song on the album for me It's not to say that I think it's a bad song. It's just very right down the middle. I can understand that. There's redeeming qualities, though. Like, again, it's not one one that I would put on a mix. I think that's a very good standard to how you would rate songs. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, the standalone quality. Because, like I said, this album fits very much as a whole piece of art. So if you start picking it apart, pulling things away, does it really stand up on its own? Like I said, think it's great. And there's certain parts, like... Like this, like a suit that's been worn to too many funerals, start fraying at the seams. Yeah, I I love the line. It's probably I think it's in the very first verse. That if you have to tell me you're not using, it's probably because you are. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a pretty great, very flat out line that works in the the meter of the song really well too. And then how'd you feel about all those places getting named? well i didn't list them in this song i missed those but (laughs) it's probably because i listened to this song the least yeah but it does it carries the theme like that as well and i just think the end is like a very good like fade out not that it doesn't necessarily fade out but you know what i mean like it's just i don't know i could listen to it must get obvious enough that you're not ever going to change that whole part i could listen to that 16 times 
and not get sick of it. But like, I wouldn't listen to this whole song 16 times in a row, if that makes sense. You know, that's perfectly fair. They Even in, in the weaker songs on this album, they have strong moments. Definitely. But I think it's safe to say that this, this is neither of our favorite song. And I, <laughs> I would probably mark it as the, the worst song on the album. Not to say it's bad, but in the view of the album as a whole when you hold it up to the others yeah yeah if that's the case let's go ahead and play a little bit of the <laughs> title track track four sister city and he's hold me close a mother's only son but i feel weightless in the valley Why don't you start us off? What do you want to say first and foremost about Sister Cities? <sighs> Calling me out because you know, I wish this wasn't the title of the album. <laughs> I get it, right? Sister Cities, it's a park in Philly. It was a, I don't know, like, I don't want to say measure or program that Eisenhower tried to bring in where like twinning big cities and like br- trying to bring about world peace by connecting places together. I get it. Beautiful, right? It fits with the theme so great. It does. It fits with the theme so well. And I, you know, I should let it go. It's just, I feel like it's so nail on the head that I want it to be a little bit more abstract. Here's my counterpoint to this. And this is not usually a position that I, I'm that interested in pursuing. It's just to play counterpoint. Mm-hmm. From a pure marketing perspective, this is lead single on the album. Oh, definitely. This is this is a single. Yeah. <laughs> you know, th- this is this is born and bred. It's a single. You know, there's no there's no doubt about it. And uh, as such, surprisingly, sometimes I disagree with singles. Sometimes I don't. This is my second standout track. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, if we're going in, are we going in? Uh, chronological order here? yeah order that, of appearance order of appearance. okay because i'm like is this your number two track on the album mm, it's probably my number three i w- i just want to say because i do have that big old book <laughs> uh there is i've sent you a photo of this it's like alternate titles for the album which like this is a poem right mm-hmm. it's a list poem which uh love these kinds of things but i want to read those out if that's okay yeah please because a, a lot of people probably didn't spend the $60 on that thing. (laughs) It comes with a record too, okay? So it's not like totally crazy. But alternate titles for the album. A detailed remembrance of all the places I've had coffee alone. Death doesn't follow me anymore. Other people's apartments. Tangles of rebar like underbrush. Do you think that God reads the billboards? That's like a suburbia line. That doesn't belong on this album. Just saying. But my true north all the ways I look like you in a love letter to a world still standing. And I'm not like all those couldn't have been album album titles. That's not meant to be taken literally, I think, but I just think it's fun to like go through those. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of them would have fit with the title, but, or with the the album, but the theme. Yeah. Well, this is one of the songs that surprisingly I took the most note of, of the music. That makes sense. I thought the, bass was so driving and great in this song Mm -hmm. like i loved that i love that the breakdown at one part is almost (laughs) ska it's not quite (laughs) but it's almost ska (laughs) yeah 
it's got the air of it a little bit. I feel you. I think that's great. Then, of course, I wanted to highlight two things in the lyrics. One is I really liked the usage and the flow of I feel weightless in the valley like I'm everywhere at once. Uh-huh. That felt really nice to me. And then the the dog metaphor in the refrain is also really great. Yeah. So I don't really post about music and stuff like on Facebook. It's not Twitter. That's what Twitter is for me. Like that's where I talk all the time. And I'm friends with my dad on Facebook. I don't think he uses it much. I don't think he pays attention. But he's gotten to like if I post something he'll like it and he'll call me and he's like did you see I liked that I hope that wasn't (laughs) weird like he doesn't understand online etiquette all right and it's great like when I talk to him about podcasts he's like what what how do I get to this what is it exactly and it's so funny and so when this song came out the music video for it I shared it on Facebook something silly about like I'm not crying you're crying because I'm a crier it's what I do or like I always, this band never disappoints, something like that. And I shared it. And I remember I was heading to one of my shifts at House of Blues. And I was sitting in a Starbucks nearby, just waiting for my shift to start. And my dad calls me. He's like, I saw that, that song that you shared. And I listened to it. And I just got to say, it's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I got I to say, I, uh, and like this is forever burned in my brain. I, I listened to it. And I, I understand why you like it. I can see why you relate to it. And I do too. <laughs> and that that kills me. I was so happy that he took the time to listen to that for me. Yeah. And get why I like it. Still trying to take my dad to see the Wonder Years. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but someday soon, I'll take him to a show. <laughs> what is this song about exactly to you? Honestly, the song, despite this album feeling about being like connected and like distance and how it doesn't matter as much as you think it does. This song feels like being on the outside of that, about feeling separate even when you're right there. That's what it feels like to me. I think that's fair. I want to point out the Andes are are name dropped here for another bit of location. Yep, yep. It's a good song. I hated on it. I didn't hate on it, but I was like, oh, it's it's just a single. (laughs) (laughs) you know when songs are when you listen to an album and you're like that's it that's why this exists yeah i do think that the wonder years are a very genuine band and i like that they're like progression are lyrically and just like a lot of people don't like that i can think of two people in my life that hate everything that the wonder years has done since the greatest generation they like oh they're too serious they're trying so hard to be something or like have all this meaning but I think that the Wonder Years have just such a genuineness about them. Dan especially, like he'll come on stage at shows and wear Medicare for All shirts. He will call people. He did phone banking to have people to vote in the last election. He campaigns, like he talks to people, texts people. He does Q&As about voting, trying to get his fans to vote, educate them. And like on election day, he was playing music live on Instagram for people. And it was just so nice. They do a lot of like fundraising and stuff. And I just think that they have so much good in them that doesn't feel disingenuous at all. Yeah, it's always nice when you can believe in an artist's principles, especially in this day and age when so many artists are showed to have such negative principles, unfortunately. Yeah, just to speak out because they feel forced to. 
I feel like they've always been talking about things that matter to them. I just think for me, there's not as much to say about this song. I still think it's really good. It was a great first track to the album, a great starting point to get people thinking about it and like listening to it. But I think it it has to be noted that I think this band is very genuine and they're not just trying hard. To sell a record. Yeah, exactly. They're trying to make something. Yeah, I feel that. I, I feel that through the course of this album. Well, let's go ahead then and listen to just a little bit of track number five, Flowers Where Your Face Should Be. Tangles up in your hair and the sadness it pulled in my heart starts emptying slowly. I saw you last night in my dream. Well, to be more fair, how about you start off this one as well? (laughs) For me, this song is about finding bits of home wherever you go. And when I listen to it, I think of, well, there's the line, just like the ones that grew back in Jersey. And I think about like when I've been in California or wherever, I can find a place or like a moment or something that feels like home that reminds me of something, even if I'm very far away. And I really like that. This is a sappy song. It's got it's got its moments where <laughs> it's cutesy. I would hope this is a sappy song because according to its writer, it's a song about how he felt on the night or day before his wedding. Yeah, no, it's thank God, right? <laughs> <laughs> not not a sad song for the wedding. Right. I couldn't believe when I heard them play this song live though. Like it's slow and everything. I just didn't expect that. But I remember they did it at Riot Fest. The, well, the first time I heard it live being played like that that was just so nice (laughs) such a good memory i could see this song having a really good live feel yeah you know this has come up a couple times through this album but they do a bridge really well they do a bridge really well in this song so (laughs) that's something that they almost always seem to nail Mm -hmm. and also obviously more locations crescent city yep and But gosh, when he comes in with the pieces of us in the morning sun, oof, (laughs) I'm not going to cry. It's fine. This song feels like a very sincere love song. And and of course, with it, there's a little bit of cheese, but it's not like overproduced cheesy love song. Yeah. And I remember with uh, No Closer to Heaven, there was like one literal love song on there. I mean, I couldn't say that some of their songs are love songs before that, but there's always an edge of something else in there. Mm Mm-hmm. But that album, I was like, what? We have a real love song. (laughs) I didn't think I'd feel like that in one of their albums. And then this song came about in this one. And I was like, oh, they did it again. But yeah, I really, I love this song. This is like the song that Jonah plays for me. That's my boyfriend. This is on one of our playlists together. I bought him a a shirt for this song when we saw them in uh, Bloomington a couple years ago. Yeah, it's a pretty song. I found myself not having too much more to say about it. Not that that's a detriment to it, but in a lot of ways, it is very straightforward. Mm-hmm. It is. And this is the end of side A. That makes sense. This is where side A ends. Yep. Gives you a nice little slow song to end side A. Mm-hmm. Well, then I guess I'm ready if you are to pick it up on side two. Yes. All right. We're going to start with the first song off of side two, track number six. Heaven's Gate, parenthetical, sad and sober. Mm-hmm. 
this song has my favorite metaphor that i've heard on this album and it's probably might be one of my favorite metaphors i've heard in a long time you care to take a guess or do you want me to say it no i think i know what it is but go ahead you were the false rain that falls from a window ac unit yes that's it (laughs) that's so good right it's really good (laughs) i really appreciated that that line was like yeah this is a different level of lyrics you know it's such a such a great image never would have thought to call it that like yeah it's so good and then it has a nice little amper stand for you for sad and sober right. for you specifically yes i i do like ampersands <laughs> in general though this song maybe i didn't read enough into it but it's just kind of a song in general about loss yeah i think it does start out strong like i think it's a good start to the second half of the album and that's not something that i really realized until i started listening to it on my record player Well, it's funny that you say that because I didn't know that and I didn't dislike this song. It just wasn't like one of my high points for the album. As soon as you said it was the start of side two, I had a bigger appreciation for it in its Mm -hmm. contextual place that way. It kind of has some of that energy that Raining Kyoto has, I think. Yeah. Where it just starts strong. I don't think it's used as effectively as it is in Rain in Kyoto. But no, it's... it doesn't have as much to grip you. But I think that this song is very different with the like the repetition at the like whole second half of the song of that like you were a bandaid, I was a car wreck. We'll admit, longest time thought it was bandaid and car wreck, <laughs> <laughs> not bandit. And I feel like I don't really miss hear lyrics for them that much, but I I think I heard what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear the easy, you know, Band-Aid in a car wreck. That sounds like makes sense. You know, this big problem and you're going to put a Band-Aid on it. That's what I thought. I was wrong. (laughs) I'll admit it. So in going with the location theme, something hit very true to home to me. Mm -hmm. As someone who grew up on the Southeast coast, He mentions Florida and choking on the heat. Yeah. And I immediately evoked a feeling in me being from coastal North Carolina and being like, oh, the humidity, that heat that you get. Yeah, I feel that. We don't get that as much here. No, it's it's funny. One of the first things that happened when I moved to Chicago, well, it wasn't one of the first things, but one of the most consistent things would be like, oh, it's really humid. And I'd be like, for Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, is it? (laughs) What scale are you weighing that on? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Flor- I, Florida's rough. I spent one summer where I basically spent a month back on the East Coast, like two weeks in New York and two weeks in North Carolina. And even in New York, like you could feel that humidity, that East Coast humidity. That's just something else. Yeah, that nice wet heat. Yeah, that's a great representation to use in a song. I really like the, I felt my lungs turn into atom bombs. I watched your memories fade. Shadows burnt into the wall. There's a lot about like fading memories, you know? Yeah. In here. And I feel like, I don't know, it's just the way that he, I think it's more so the way he says this line that like sticks out to me. I get it. I feel it. But just the way that it's presented makes me feel it even more. I understand that for sure. I think we're ready to move on to track seven. Yep. So we're going to play a little bit of we look like lightning. Drive a month, it is again. I'm half awake, I know it's wrong, but I swear to God, it's almost Christmas. 
language I don't understand There's a shaking voice on the PA The other passengers seem nervous I'm playing It's on to you so that was a little listen to We Look Like Lightning. One of the things I just want to say about it is I love the dark electronic start of this song. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, there's it, this is another very specific moment, it feels like. In general, the song is about fearing for your life in an airplane, but there's nice little specific details like it's a foreign captain. You don't understand exactly what it's, what mm-hmm. they're saying, but just see the reactions of everybody else. Yeah. Did you ever listen to Bright Eyes? Never. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. I listened to a lot of Bright Eyes in a period of my life. I feel like we all had that. You either went through it or you're still in it. But you know the song where he's on the airplane? The one where it's like kind of a, a spoken word at the beginning? Yeah. I don't know the music video, but I bought oh. that album when it came out. So, yeah. We've talked about we talked about this last week. I don't know how much of that's going to make it into the the podcast episode, but we talked about like how our brains work a little bit last time and bite of passage. And I am very visual in my brain. Whenever I hear something, nine times out of ten, my brain tries to like create visuals for it. Like I have visuals in my head from the first time I listened to like Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Well, you ought to know. <laughs> Well, because there's the the cross-eye bear that you gave to me. Right. I misheard that when I was very young, and I thought it was cross-eyed bear, like stuffed animal. Well, let's make this a little bit more of a fun excursion, because, you know, that's from a religious statement, gladly the cross-eyed bear or -hmm. whatever. They Might Be Giants actually have a song where they spell it, the cross-eyed bear, as a play on how that's often misheard. That's awesome. I love that. It's on the song Hideaway Folk Family off of their self-titled album, if anyone's interested. I'll, I'll go. I'll give it a listen just because I'm here, for, just because I've lived that pun like, <laughs> or whatever. But I, and even now when I listen, that I love that album so much. Even now when I listen to it, I see that. Even though I know it's wrong, I still see it as like a bitter ex. Like, this is all I have left that you gave to me. Mm-hmm. Stupid bear that isn't even made right uh that you probably thought was cute when you got it and like i have this whole story that i've made up how 20 years ago whatever but when i listen to this song i see that bright eyes music video in the beginning where he's talking to the people on the plane and i don't want to make this talk about that song but i just (laughs) in my mind now i just keep hearing we're going to a birthday party it's your birthday (laughs) yep (laughs) and they love you very 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 much whatever yeah oh man been a while but i i can't tell you the last time i watched that music video i have never seen that music video (laughs) that's crazy obviously i know the song (laughs) oh definitely i i don't i don't doubt that at all there's just such an era of time when on demand started to exist like comcast on demand and you could like look up music videos that was one of the ones that and like lover i don't have to love and easy lucky free always all three of those are on different albums but two of those albums came out at the same time and one of them came out way earlier they were always on um fuse on demand and i could watch them <laughs> and i did a lot well let's get back to we look like lightning well, as you can tell, 
I don't have notes for this song. <laughs> that's why I'm going outward. That's fair. And I think we it was a good conversation that we had, but I mm-hmm. I want to make an observation. Like I appreciate this song mm-hmm. and I appreciate its place in the album. The refrain really doesn't work well for me. Yeah. I think, and it's through no fault of his because it makes sense in the context of the song. But the trappings of some of the subgenres that he toils in kind of makes the refrain work poorly to me. I understand that. It's it's a shame, and I feel maybe maybe I'm being too judgmental in that process. But it just it makes so much sense in the context of the song. But you know, the first maybe the first couple times I heard this when I wasn't looking with lyrics, all I heard was the a song that you want to die to. I didn't hear exactly why he was saying that. Yeah. I, I can understand that. My favorite part of this song is the opening. I forgot what month it is again. I'm half awake and I know it's wrong, but I swear to God, it's almost Christmas. I love that, especially now in this strange timeline that we're in where time doesn't exist anymore. And it's almost Christmas. <laughs> it is. And I, I have felt that. Like I know since this album, it's been, what, two years? since this album came out. Um, I know I felt that before. There's also this line in like one of their older songs, it smells like it should be snowing, makes me think of that. And then of course it makes me think of Gilmore Girls because I smell snow is so important to Lorelai. <laughs> and if you listen to Bite of Passage, you'll get a lot of uh, extra Gilmore talk. Can't help it. It's, it's in my DNA at this point, you know? I understand. But I just think that is like a good, not a good feeling, but it's like, Something where you, especially when you travel a bunch and you're going somewhere that's not in the same climate as where you are, you can go somewhere else and it's just like, wait, what time, like, where am I? Because it can feel totally different somewhere else. Yeah. And that goes with the undercurrent of culture shock that happens at moments through this album too. Mm -hmm. And obviously being on an airplane makes, is one of the things that made distance seem less far than it ever had before. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ways the song definitely belongs on this album. And I don't think it's a bad song at all. It just, the refrain sits poorly with me. I just think that if it sounded different, I would like it more. It's possible. Because lyrically, I like it. All right, The Wonder Years. You heard it here first. Jacqueline says, <laughs> make a new version of We Look Like Lightning. Yes, please. That's what I need. I will admit I haven't really listened to this. But so earlier this year... Uh, I think I bought the tickets last year, late last year. The Wonder Years were going on a tour for their second Burst and Decay, which is redoing, rewriting or whatever of versions of songs. Ah. We Look Like Lightning is on there. Oh, so they have done it. <laughs> <So, laughs> I thought so. And I, oh man, now I want to listen to that. I think I've listened to it once or twice. It was just hard for me to listen to it. So there's the date of the show was like March 18th. So in the realm of COVID, right. we, we shut down everything like March 15th. So they had canceled it and it pushed back the show until summer, I think like July or something. And then it got pushed again and then they just canceled it completely. I think we were the, we were the last leg. We were like last two, three dates of the tour. Oh wow! They're supposed to be at, at Concord and then they ended up doing a live stream 
So in order to get a ticket to the live stream, it was like 10 bucks, but, or if you could just buy merch. So I bought the record because I was going to buy it at the show anyway. They did this before. This is the second version and it has, we look like lightning and it must get lonely from this album. Interesting. So maybe they felt like those two songs weren't done right the first time or needed something else. Who knows? Because I think it, the sound of it fits with this record. I feel like such a fake fan right now. <laughs> because <laughs> I haven't listened to that but I, it was just such a sore spot because I was so bummed right you know but I think like the sound of it fits with this album and if you like look into interviews and stuff they'll say how like they wanted to go like above and beyond for No Closer to Heaven but they couldn't do everything that they wanted to do and so this album I think sound sound wise and lyrically is their most polished I'm not saying I, that doesn't mean I like everything, but I think it's very cohesive. And I think that they were able to spend more time on it, but maybe because trying to fit into this, just not the sound that I want it to be, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, totally. Well, let's go ahead and move on from this and into track eight, The Ghost of Right Now. To underplay everything else, but the best part of this song to me might be the title line. Yeah, this is maybe my favorite track. Is it? It might be. I'm not sure. But I think it's a standout track for me. That's excellent. I don't I didn't dislike the song at all. I so I don't not I'm not saying that, but for some reason this is one I just didn't have a lot to say about. I mean it's I don't want to call it simple, but to the point, like short. Yeah. I love that I want to take you someplace safer. I want to leave. And I think that's something so relatable when there are situations or, you know, someone's going through something, whatever. Like when you love someone, you want to take them someplace safer. And I just, I can see that in my head. <laughs> you know, I can think of those times where I've wanted to protect someone. And I think that this kind of ties into those earlier feelings on this album. Yeah. That we kind of touched on yeah like that pyramids of salt and it must get lonely but i think this song does that better that makes sense to me hearing it like that i was reading a lot of people say that this was one of that they found this song to be the hardest hitting on the album and i don't know it didn't feel musically more aggressive to me than other moments of this album i think the way he's singing is okay he sounds like he's continuously like pushing his vocals for the most part in this song it's different i think than the others that's fair yeah i can see that now that you're saying that specifically i think this song is is about dying relatives that are in oregon while he's not far away <laughs> really i you know i didn't really catch that <laughs> you know so it's another this theme of loss this theme of location gets continued mm -hmm. that line oh, you looked skinny at my wedding Sick of carrying the weight. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, that is a pretty good line. And the way it continues of, of the doctors and the treatments and the reasons to be afraid or the fear, whatever. Because you could have just said, you looked skinny at my wedding and you could get those feelings. But sick of carrying the weight, like that makes it, 
because you know we can talk about show versus tell we can talk about like not trusting your audience or whatever like that we have those conversations often yes but (laughs) (laughs) but i think that this was a brilliant way to do that and it doesn't feel like it's undercutting that other line it's turning it on its head a little bit that makes sense definitely well I don't want to cut you off. Did you have anything else you wanted to add about this this song specifically? No, I'm taking the time to listen to it, to talk about it. It made me really think about it a lot more. And I enjoyed it a lot more, I think now. Excellent. Well, on this subject of enjoying more, <laughs> why don't we play a little bit of track nine, When the Blue Finally Came. Oh, I see you jump off of a cliff and start to levitate. Yeah, I'm afraid So the reason I segued into this song that way, and first I just want to say for a moment, I'm just talking about track nine. We'll get into how it connects to track 10. Uh But for right now, just on track nine alone, listening to this song by itself and hearing it at first, I was like, it's okay. It's fine. It's, you know, a little slow song to move in the album. It's fine, whatever. And for some reason, out of especially out of all the slow songs Mm -hmm. this song sticks with me it was a slow creep for me and i find myself singing the chorus without even realizing i'm doing it sometimes yeah i surprisingly really like this song i don't know if it should be a surprise but i just think me knowing myself i'm surprised at it and i think this song you touch on that it's slow but i don't even it feels like a dream music wise and like lyrically. I just, it feels like a dream. Yeah. I like that so much. And because we talk about like poetry and stuff and how it's like edited lyrically, look at how it is in the lyric book, how it's like spaced the stanzas or, well, I guess verses. I don't know how you want to break it up because it is also a song. Yeah. But it's interesting because in the, I, gosh. I don't know if it's like this in the in the big book, but in the small book that came with the CD, uh, it has in the center, the page has stuff on the left, stuff aligned with the right, and then stuff right in the middle. And right in the middle is like literally in the middle, like column, but also in the middle of the little square page is when the blue finally came, it swallowed up everything. And I just, oh, uh, it's so good to look at like visually. Yeah. And that doesn't really, they don't really do that too much else. They do it in sister cities, which I think makes sense because it's like, I'm here, you're here, we're in the middle. So that works. But it's nice that they don't overuse those sorts of things. I will say, and, and we'll get around to this more later, but in a lot of ways, this song makes me think of a, of a whole album I really like. Mm-hmm. And it may not even just be the music because it's probably just the, the lines you said. But there's an album called The Violent Blue by electric president and it's not all about the ocean but there's a lot of like <laughs> ocean imagery and that that same it's the violent blue and that line that you just said when the blue finally came it swallowed everything mm-hmm. it's just that same kind of imagery of the ocean at this point i'm listening to this album all i could think was 
this person has just suffered so much loss <laughs> like so I much know. loss <laughs> it's crazy how how prevalent it is through this album that it's like it's another song about it <laughs> but i feel like there are so many different facets of loss and feelings of loss that it doesn't feel and aspects that he's writing from exactly definitely yeah i agree we'll talk about location he talks about a beach in sydney australia i have one more thing to say but before i do is there something you'd like to say about track nine as a whole by itself Mm, no i just i enjoy it so i do too but here's the thing I've any listener listening notices I keep saying by itself. Mm-hmm. And that's because my first note about this song before anything else was this song feels like a transition moment musically. I see that. Like it's, tr- it's trying to be a transition on the, the album, but also, and this is a hallmark of a lot of things that I would consider albums. It's not always on great albums and, and stuff that aren't great albums can have it. But when there are two songs that almost belong together. I think that's a great thing and it can be done really well. And that's why we should go ahead and play a little bit of track 10, The Orange Grove. So track 10, The Orange Grove, is my final standout track. And what I want to say is that if you include When the Blue Finally Came and make it one piece, Mm -hmm. then it's the best track on this album. I wish that they had done that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) If it's by itself, then it's the second best song on the album. But if it's together, it's the first best song on the album. I see that. I have a few things to say about this song. So why don't you go ahead and... So this song hurts. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It fills me with like so much imagery immediately. And there's a lot of things that feel like quintessential wonder years, like lyrically. But that whole, when your mom got sick, so slow, did you carry the weight alone? All of those, did you carry the weight alone? Bits. I love that, and it brings in another point to me on the last track of the album, and I'll point that out when we get there. But I just think that this points out, like, vaguely things that a lot of people can relate to that they've dealt with, like hard times, and they feel so personal to you. It can be like a uniting people through, like, their suffering, you know exactly the one of my notes and how this song made me feel when i sat there and read the lyrics were obviously everybody deals with loss and everyone deals with grief but i feel like a lot of times on this album i haven't been suffering the same loss or grief and i can empathize with him Mm -hmm. but it doesn't hit me as much personally but yeah this song really played to me there's this subtle undertone throughout the whole thing of Health versus American productivity. Yeah. Health versus money. When you grow up a little bit, (laughs) and I just say that because I've been listening to this band for a long time, you know, I feel like there's always those touches of things like that, like the way you work yourself to the bone or 
the way like you watched your parents not really get to spend that much time together because they were working so hard to do things. There's a lot of that on The Greatest Generation, like talking about wearing your winter coat to bed, stuff like that, you know? And those are things that like a lot of people can relate to, a lot of people don't relate to. But I think that there's so many things that are vague, but also so familiar. So yeah, like I didn't go through things exactly the way that he did. You know, like when I lost my grandpa, I was able to leave work, fly, and go be there with him when he passed away. Like it's one of the saddest things in my life, but it's one of the most memorable. And like, I'm so glad that I was able to do that. And it's a memory that I talk about often because it was so great. Like my grandpa was all there and I came and he was like, Jacqueline's coming. I got to have my teeth because <laughs> I got to look good because I was the favorite. Just saying. And I've dealt with a lot of loss in my life. And I know that other people haven't, but there's still ways that you lose people that aren't always death. There's still ways that you deal with things. And there's so much like, I don't want to say an easy connection. I'm listening to this book right now, uh, The Dead Moms Club. It's a memoir by Kate Spencer. I've been listening to it and she reads it herself. And she talks about like being in line for a keg at a party. And this girl looks at her and she's like, is that a locket? what's in the locket? She's like, oh, it's a photo of my, my mom and my grandma. She's like, they're dead, right? <laughs> and it seems like so blunt and so weird. She's like, yes. It's like, oh, I lost my mom too. And they bond and like become best friends for a moment in their like shared trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think that that like many of my friends and I have like, we joke about like the dead parents club, dead moms club and stuff like that. Or talk about how easy it is to relate when someone has gone through similar things to you. And there's a few things on this list that I understand. (laughs) And it's nice to feel like those things talked about and to feel a little bit at home, even if it's like an uncomfortable thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I'm looking at the lyrics right now and I don't know. It just feels like a Wonder Years song. That's fair. I love the delivery of the title. Mm Mm-hmm. His voice sounds great. It's great there. Again, the breakdown, breakdowns and bridges they've got under control. (laughs) This is a great breakdown in this song. Specifically, it's about an orange grove in Arizona. Mm -hmm. More travel. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I love this song. I, I think the rest of this album is way more personal. Yeah. Not to say that this song isn't personal, but I think it's a great way to make a statement with the personal that is more about leave it a little bit open is more about everybody and that is part of the thing is that's another form of connection and distance and yeah i think the song it works really 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 well would you like to say anything else about the orange grove i don't think so (laughs) (laughs) okay well we're gonna move on to the final song track number 11 the ocean grew hands to hold have a quote from dan i maybe i'll save it for a minute but i didn't have much to say about this song really it feels like a very obvious last song to me yeah it feels like the last page 
like easily. There's no other place that this song could have fit in the album. I remember hearing it the first time and being surprised at how it sounds. Uh, I think it's very well done. I think that this song just hits. It makes sense. It sounds like I mentioned that he is atheist and it hits on that like, maybe I could believe. (laughs) And you try and bargain over these things. And I, I love that so much because it's something that I think a lot of people deal with. And the line that I had on my mind when talking about the last track is, I learned to lean on the people who love me when the sutures start to split. And I think it's trying to remind you that like you're not alone and it's okay to like get help and lean on those people because in the last song it's like oh wow people do suffer the same way that I do or they've suffered through similar things to me and kind of opening your eyes to that and then in this song that line I was like that's something that I forget I can do sometimes you know yeah it's a nice warm way to go out Mm mm-hmm Although the song is still kind of dark. It's not like... Oh, no, it's definitely very dark. Well, I'm going to go ahead then and I'm going to read. He was There was an interview in The Independent in April 2018. And this is what Dan Campbell said. He said that it was his favorite song they've ever written. And that was at, at the time. So this might have changed by now. Yeah. But he continued to say, That song is a direct result of us challenging each other to push beyond our natural instincts for the duration of an entire song. We hold back a lot on that song in a way that we wouldn't normally do. The first time we played that song, I had my eyes closed and I thought, did we really write this? This is the song we've been trying to write since we started playing music. And I thought reading that was interesting to me because listening to it without perspective of their body of work outside of this album i wouldn't have noticed but after reading that and going back and listening you can hear the restraint he's talking about on the recording definitely and i that's so interesting to me because a lot of times they come in so full force with a lot of stuff and i think this speaks to this record and how they really tried harder and like were able to give more into it and how they thought about how the like puzzle pieces fit together. I think that this is, it's a great ending. It's a great way that, I don't know, just like all of the things fit together and it's just different. And it's interesting too, talking about the way that it's set up, how it's like split here, the lyrics. Uh-huh. And I can tell that there's, if you look in the, the lyric book for the album, everything is put together in a very specific way. A lot of thought. Yeah, no, and I think, you know, I don't necessarily think this is my favorite song on the album, but... Doesn't need to be. (laughs) I get why it wouldn't be, but I'm just saying I get it. Yeah, no, it has a a proper place and it feels part of a complete thing, which is going back to the whole point of, of this podcast to an extent is, yeah, this is definitely an album. It's a cohesive piece from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And I think that works really well. Well, what do you want to say about the thing as a whole now that we've come to the end of this track-by-track discussion? There's one thing that was said about this album that I would like to bring up. And the quote is, the songs sound like they're trying to build you a bridge from somewhere bad to somewhere better. That's like the description of this album. And I love that. That's by the, the poet that edited the lyrics. Like he wrote that about this album. And he's written quite a bit about the, like about the Wonder Years in general and how it feels to listen to them and how he relates to them, which is interesting. But 
I like that it's somewhere bad to somewhere better, not somewhere perfect, not somewhere good. It's somewhere better, you know? And it's like we can't make things perfect, but can make it a little bit easier. Yeah. And I like the connectedness to this record. I like the idea of finding someone to relate to no matter where you go. And like that's kind of what this, that's what sparked the, uh, album was like they were supposed to play a show and they couldn't and then people in the town where they were overseas like got a place for them to play and they played to 100 people and Dan couldn't believe that in this place where they kind of had no business being no real reason to be there he was able to find like-minded people people that wanted him there wanted them there And and I always think it's so interesting that a band that feels so, and like I've said this a couple of times, how their lyrics feel so narrow, especially in their older work. We're like, this is my life. This is my story. It's very points on a map of places I've been for like them and their lyrics for people to relate to it anywhere, like anywhere else is amazing. Like for them to travel to countries in Asia and Australia, wherever they've been, you know, they've been able to find fans there. And I think that that, that's important. I think that it's good for them. You know, I think it shows how good and relatable they really are. Yeah. Well, I don't really have anything I could say that's better than the thing about this album's taking you from a bad place to a better place. Yeah. Like, I think that's a pretty good summation. I will say paying attention to this album i was i was pleasantly surprised by a lot of moments on it and it definitely feels like a cohesive piece to me and i i appreciate this even more than i thought i would my question before we kind of of say goodbye is this album and this album only Mm -hmm. what do you recommend to somebody that isn't this this thing you understand what i'm trying to say no (laughs) what do you mean so if somebody wanted an album to listen to that's based off of their interest in this album, that's not a Wonder Years record, oh. where would you point somebody? Or would you just point them to more of the Wonder Years? Um, that's, a really, that's a really good question. I would want to point them to more Wonder Years, of course, because I feel like this is such, a, such an interesting band with like the the genre that they started in and how they grew they grew so much uh, across albums like i wouldn't tell anyone to go listen to their stuff like sleeping on trash which is a collection of songs like from different eps and stuff but i think that this has very similar feelings to the suburbia album which is very well suburbia i've given you all and now i'm nothing it's the other version of this album where it would be very closed off and to your life or well, like to Dan's life and like their life in like Philadelphia and stuff and their other travels, but where it feels very singular. So it's just like the other side of the coin, if that makes sense. Well, that's fair. But I'll be honest. I listen to <laughs> like no music anymore. It's all audiobooks and podcasts at this point. Oh, but I would say the Menzingers would be a good a good version of that like after the party i think they feel very the wonder years in like a lot of the older wonder years would be like the menzingers so after the party i think is a good fit well i don't have any real specific suggestions i will say 
I do recommend people checking out those Jay Robbins projects I mentioned earlier, Jawbox and uh, mm-hmm. Burning Airlines. It's not necessarily the same as this, but it's it's much earlier post-hardcore stuff. And it's always good to see where things are coming from, even if they aren't necessarily influenced directly by them. Someone in their branch of influences was surely influenced by them. Yeah. I listened to that after you mentioned it, and I definitely could hear it. Yeah. So, well, I think that that brings us to the end of this uh, this discussion. Thank you so much for joining me for it. Thanks for listening to me ramble about this. <laughs> no, it was great, and I uh, we'll hope to get you on here again soon. Then it would be your choice, right? It sure would. <laughs> That'd be fun. I'd, I'd look forward to it. Thanks. Of course. No, thank you. And that brings us to the close of another episode of New Ears. We'd like to remind everyone that you can find out where to reach us in the episode description, and we would still love to hear from you, so please reach out. Whether it's albums you'd like to hear discussed, guests you'd like to have, or your thoughts on any of the albums we've covered. In the next episode of New Ears, we will be covering the self-titled album of the band Karaoke. Can't wait to bring that one to you, and hope everyone stays safe. Thanks for listening. Starts a lot of and yeah, I'm afraid. I follow you anyway. When the blue finally came, it swallowed up everything. is an abandoned mascot production and part of the abandoned mascot network a loose affiliation of podcasts for media arts creators and connoisseurs for more information follow us on twitter at abandoned masco one that's abandoned m-a-s-c-o and the number one thanks for listening